Welcome to Philosophy. Our guest today is a man called Liam Cullinan. And Liam is no ordinary man. It was about 1990 and I was calling out to a friend of mine. I was about 12 years old, so I was walking down this country road towards the house and I saw a figure in the front garden who was loading blocks and rocks into a wheelbarrow. That sight wouldn't have been unusual around this time in Ireland, but the way this man was moving these big blocks and rocks as though they were pebbles seemed unusual. As I got closer, I could see that this man was in incredible physical shape. At this time, the Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Van Damme movies would have been big in my friends group, and I think in general. But I'd never seen anybody that looked like these guys. As I got closer, I could see that this man in the garden throwing these rocks around looked like these guys. He had his top off with a pair of jeans on. He had dark hair, he was over six foot tall, he had big broad shoulders, he had bulging muscles and the veins popping out as he walked away. As a kind of shy 12 year old, I walked past Liam that day with uh, my eyes wide open but yet fixed on the ground in front of me as I shuffled past him and I got to the front door and knocked. My friend answered. I said, dude, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is in your front garden. My friend laughed and said, yeah, that's, uh, that's my brother Liam. He's back on leave from the French Foreign Legion. Wow, this was, uh, I'd heard about Liam, but when you, when you saw the guy in front of you, you suddenly realised what the, what the fuss was about. He was no ordinary man. Uh, Liam became somewhat a figure of mystique and kind of mythology in my friends group and to others in Galway uh, we used to see the pictures that he had sent back and look at the items look at his knife look at his beret look at the medals and tell stories and wonder about what it would have been like in the French Foreign Legion which in itself had a mystique and a mythology surrounding it many people from Galway had tried to join the French Foreign Legion. Tough, tough guys who went out there and for one reason or another came back a month or two later. And no disrespect to these guys. But Liam, at 18 years of age, went out to join the Legion. And Liam finished in the top 10 throughout basic training and therefore got to choose his regiment. And Liam being Liam, he did not choose an easy path and went on to have a career in the Mountain Regiment, Mountain Parachute Regiment. We'll get into that in the podcast. Um, Liam had a good career in the, in the Foreign Legion, and he left. Uh, after he left, he went doing things like hiking in the foothills of the Himalayas and, you know, continuing this life of adventure, so... He was in Fort William in Scotland and undergoing a diving course so he could become a commercial diver and travel around the world doing exciting things uh, 
and making a living at it, you know. Uh, that was the path Liam had chosen, and as we know, Liam follows through. However, the universe had different plans, it seems, and it was at this time that Liam was struck down by meningitis. Liam went into a coma and suffered a brain injury. Uh, this brain injury was significant and the prognosis was not good for Liam. He was told he had to learn to walk again, learn to talk again. Although Liam's cognitively fine, as in thinking and memory and all that stuff is seems perfect. Um, controlling his body seemed to take uh, serious, serious effort and concentration, which um, Liam is a, has surpassed all expectations. Um, the man who's not supposed to be able to cycle can be seen miles from Galway on a specially made tricycle pushing through cycling. Uh, Liam, Liam is a well-known character now around Galway. Uh, it's not hard to see that Liam is, is, is dealing with the things the rest of us don't. Uh, when Liam walks, he, he, he often gets mistaken for a drunk person. Um, now, this mistake isn't made by m most Galwegians because he's so well known and respected and admired, but when others do make that mistake, locals tend to be quick to inform them of, uh, of their misapprehension and that Liam is no ordinary man. Uh, one might think going through what Liam has gone through would leave someone bitter. Uh, this is not the case with Liam. He's a joyful character. Spending five minutes with Liam will, will, will cheer you up and make your day and leave you wondering what the hell you were complaining about in the first place. This first episode with Liam is about his time in the in the Legion. In the next episode we'll talk about his time from that day in Fort William and go into his incredible diet and, and, and passion and perseverance and determination and and wisdom. In the second one we might talk about his hike in the North Pole or his solo trip to Thailand. In this first one, we talk about Liam's inspirations in the Legion, people he had met that became exemplars, maybe, for Liam to a certain extent. We'll talk about what brought him to join the Legion and maybe get uh, an insight into what it's like in the Legion, which seems to be a military unit that has a that has a lot of mythology and mystique surrounding it. So it'll be nice to talk to somebody who's actually been there. As I say, Liam is no ordinary man. 
and I'm very honored to have him on this podcast. So with no more delay, I give you part one of Liam Cullinan, the Legionnaire. Hello, Liam. Welcome to Philosophy. Thanks, Tahi. Good to be here. It's an it's an honor to have you here on this little podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will have done an introduction and, and done a brief overlay of your story. Uh, but I wonder, would you be able to tell us what was it that made you decide to join the Legion all those years ago? Well, when I was 16 years of age, I looked to my, my father and all the adults in my life and didn't want to have a similar, a similar life. So where I wake up one morning when I was 50, 50 whatever, and look back at my and yeah, I have a cat, well, a wife, no, and a job for beautiful kids, a big fat mortgage, a couple of cars, not much off really. So I kind of questioned then what to do, what's the aim of life, what's the reason for being here, and I didn't see any adventure in any senior person in my life. So, yeah, a lot of the lads in the class at the time were talking about the Legion. They were all adamants, they were joining. And I, I think I first heard about the Legion or was exposed to it was in Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. I think I remember that one of the desert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I always thought it was a bit of a myth. Yeah. But but then yeah, from the way the lads were talking, yeah, we realized that hmm sounds like it's, it's the year after all and then there was a film on the TV yeah well uh, an English lad an upper class English lad who went to the Legion yeah yeah movie yeah very very entertaining of course the this guy was Superman at every activity he engaged in but it was good uh, I, I think the laurel and heart of peace was more more <laughs> inspirational to me i think that's kind of the the the, the image you said there laurel and hardy and i mentioned the desert and that would be kind of my image of the Legion, especially back then, especially when I was 16, my idea of the Legion would have been uh, guys in the desert with funny hats, shooting guns and, and doing cool stuff, you know? And and I definitely had the the knowledge that they, they took they took people 
who were maybe criminals or people who had maybe shady pasts and they gave them new names and they said you can fight for France and we'll give you a new name when you when you leave and and all your all your past is left behind is that was that true that that used to be the case for for that but uh, there was a a bit of strife between the legion and the French government after the French were kicked out of Vietnam. Uh, before the Yanks went in. Yeah, yeah, it's a long, long story, but the French government basically got very, very wary about the Legion, and over the years I've been breaking them down. And when I joined in 85, your screens security while you will find in their headquarters regiment while while you're going through other procedures yeah physical testing uh, your medical aptitude your IQ test all that kind of thing but they run you through interval okay and if you want to buy interval your hand is over to the ball. Really? Okay. Uh, and it, it comes in waves. It's almost like a fashion, you could say. From when I joined, there was lots of English-speaking guys. So when I eventually got to my, my call it destination, destination, which was the parachute regiment based on the island of Corsica. Half the company I was into was composed of English-speaking lads. And then, soon after the fall of the Berlin Wall, there was an awful lot of Polish and Eastern European guys. In the ranks. So, I, I'm, I'm, uh, entered my head. I wonder if that film that you had watched and the Laurel and Hardy had inspired all the English-speaking people to go in a wave. And then the fall of the Berlin Wall. Lots of Eastern Europeans. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, we, you, so you were still there when the Eastern Europeans came. Yeah, yeah. You would have been. You would have been. You wouldn't have been in train, and then you would have been. Well, I joined in 85 and Berlin Wall was in 1889. Yeah. So, yeah, late 89. Okay. I, I think of then that the, the Eastern Europeans were really in evidence. Yeah. But what influenced a lot of English-speaking guys to join was a book by Simon Murray uh, came out in the 60s I think and the, the name of the book hmm, the name escapes me but Simon Murray he was in it for a few years and then he wrote an account of his time 
was like you had an image all, all your friends in school as well were talking about going joining the legion but were you the only one that went so you yeah. were the only one that wasn't bullshitting <laughs> really you were like you said you're going you went well the the way I saw it it, it fitted my bill and leading me to the meaning of life and, and more importantly a life of adventure and getting out of Galway <laughs> okay you felt Galway was too small for you I think I did too as I, was yeah. young. I think most people go through that no matter where they grow up it's like this place is too small for me and we all think we're huge <laughs> yeah but when I arrived in France uh, it quickly became apparent that no, Galway is not the center of the universe. Yeah. And then time in Africa became very aware that this, this classification we have of the first world and the third world there was many aspects of the third world which make you question that especially when you meet a young lad who can speak several european languages and he's in africa and the only reason they speak so many foreign european languages is because that it's a ticket to survival. Okay. But the fact that they can, like, uh, I, I've often said it's, it's an awful shame that the Irish have lost, we've lost our language, basically. Yeah. And, and we've taken on the English language. Um, in that, we've taken on what, what's good and bad within that structure of the English language. Do you think there's there's a a lot of good things in what we call the third world or used to call the third world? A lot of good things that we ignore, that we think we're, we're we think we're better, and we try to impose our way of being. But there's a lot of goodness there that we neglect to take into account. Yeah, it's it's not not really vast in reference to the third world but it's it's like it's like everyone well most people in the third world say to themselves i am enough i i don't need to be wearing light and the details and all, all these logos all these brands and i don't need all this materialistic stuff but there is a problem for an awful lot of people in the third world in the third world is that even though without saying thing mentally in the minds that that the are enough is not enough to ensure survival. Life can be pretty cheap 
in Nafrago. It's fairly ruthless. Yeah. Uh, we, we in the, the West, we don't realize how lucky we are. E even if we were born into a sector of society, of of society, which makes life tough. Say you, say you're you're born into a dysfunctional family. Blah blah blah. Even even taking an extreme situation like that is still a cut above by quite a large bit. It's a cut above what a hell of a lot of people in Africa have to live with. That's, uh, that's deep. Meaningful that is. Uh, and I do think it's something uh, people don't take into account. It's just a how lucky we are uh, there seems to be a, I call it the victim olympics that goes on in the west a lot it's who can who can moan the most <laughs> and when somebody tells you how bad it is you feel you feel like you should be telling them how worse it is for you sometimes you know i, I, I get that a lot uh listening to people moaning and i moan myself i'm not i'm not, I'm not above a good moan i gotta be honest but when you reflect on it like in the larger picture we are so very very lucky what um when you got to the legion were your was your picture of what the legion was going to be was that completely smashed or did some of it line up with what you had previously thought some of it lined up yeah and yeah some of it i realized that that, that my expectations were, were just childhood fantasy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I found the, I found the adjustment to the military life extremely, extremely difficult. Getting out of bed at six in the morning and so on and so on. Uh, found, found, it, found it hard to just thumbs to the language the everything's so different I got to the Legion in July Street after they leave it out which is the, the name of the Irish school's final exams and because I decided the religion was for me when I was a 10 or 16. That meant I, I didn't have to worry about burying my head in all these school books for the next two years in order to achieve enough points to get a place on whatever the degree course I've had to no, I was going to do Legion. I I didn't know I hadn't followed with no really excuse me. There was no way really of researching of what what was 
neither to apply to the legion, but I, I had a fair hunch that they weren't going to be all worried about how many punch you got in your leaving cert. <laughs> no, no, they, they weren't asking you that. It was and you. You were, but there was still there was still a lot of uh, I feel mental aptitude that's needed for the legion, just not necessarily the book smarts. Can yeah, they give you an IQ test. And if your IQ comes off lower than 15 up to 20, um, it means that you, you can't progress in rank to the non-commissioned officers that sergeant and above. Or no, I say 15. No, 15 is what I got. It's... it's it's 12. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you don't get higher than 12, then your, your prospects career, career-wise, promotion-wise are, limit, are limited. But, but I didn't join the Legion to make a career of it or to go up in rank. So that, that doesn't really math or even then so you were like uh i, I just you, you, i have a picture of you as a young man just raring to go for adventure yeah just looking for new things and, and physical things and and you had some preparation in that you were you were sporty guy as, as a youngster yeah yeah i was i was okay of rugby so i good get around the field and for the for the legion uh, you don't you don't need to be superman or or anything like that I, i'm sure that i'm sure that right now the the physical entry tests are more demanding than when i joined But as I say, it's, it's fairly basic. Yeah, being a good good soldier, as an of soldier, often uh, often feels ready for combat. Uh, being able to function under conditions which impose. All our sleep deprivation, shortage of food, yeah, cold and wet, and yeah, just stuff like that. It doesn't really matter how good you are, how physical you are. It's often the case that someone who is super physical as an athletic they, they might not do swell as someone who can just put their head down and grind away relentlessly. That, that relentlessly has an emphasis on it there. I'd say, was that, 
mean, perseverance is something obviously you have epitomized, not just in the Legion, but since. You played rugby. Do you think there was something in playing sports that helped develop your personality so that you could engage with that endurance type stuff and the teamwork? Did the teamwork of, of rugby help going into the Legion at all? Uh, definitely. Rugby is, is a very honourable sport. The first time I played the match, I only had a few training sessions at the start of the year in the first match. And I, I did not have a clue where I was going, what I was doing, where I was meant to be. None of it. My position was in the second row and uh, I just followed the number eight around the park. The guy's name was Donald Madden. A very, very inspirational guy, really strong, solid, a great leader. Just followed him. Uh, when, when we come out of the the strums and the, you know, the pile-up kind of things. Uh, Donald always seemed to be 20 yards ahead of me and I, I, would, just, I would just follow whatever he was doing. I would mimic and one time he, he put up his hands just to signal to draft that uh, I'm offside, but I'm not doing anything. And be because I was so, so slow and so far behind Donald, I was still well onside. But I had my arms up near just like <laughs> Donald. <laughs> yeah. But after the match, the opposite team formed a tunnel and we all marched through and then once we completed our march through we formed a tunnel and the opposite team walked through and uh, I was mentally blown away by this because, because only five minutes before we were trying to knock the living deal out out of each other. So that kind of respect, that's what, that's what you're getting at with the, with the honour that's in rugby. And that, that's in, it's, it's in a lot of sports, less so in many. Uh, I like the same, what is it, uh, football is a gentleman's game played by thugs and rugby is a thugs game played by gentlemen. It's <laughs> <laughs> often a good description. But yeah, formal forming that tunnel for the opposition team is a is a good thing to get youngsters to do it's it's yeah. appreciate everybody even even the opposition and when you got to so donald donald would have been uh the guy you followed and, and maybe looked up to in the rugby team when you got to the legion 
was there anybody there when when you were before you went to the legion you said you were you looked around and and you didn't see any of the adults in your life that you wanted to become did you find any of them adults in the legion any of them older people uh yeah quite a few of the men in the legion inspired me uh, you could see uh, I felt like uh, a little boy in the presence. I was, what's the word? I was almost like overawed with some some guys. The in, in the instruction we had uh, a couple in charge of us. Called, yeah, his name was Santa Nachi, and he was a Gothskin, and there would be three or four couples in charge of how you know, doing basic training, uh, and this, this guy seemed like the, the leader of the couples. Yeah, he really. Uh, give me something to look up to and the uh, next big figure in, in my time in the Legion when I started jump school in the Paris yeah, it was uh, three big coughs the, the monitor or sorry the last phrase the instructor his name is Jean, Jean-Pierre Legro, or no, Jean Jean-Pierre, and he was a seriously cool dude, small guy, but you could, you could tell he, you could tell you didn't want to tangle with him. He he was in the commando unit. Yeah, it's it's special name at the time was Commando Durantonio and Action on Profundur, and yeah, years years later, uh, about five years later, I I joined that unit myself, and when the, this instructor jump here saw me. He looked at me physically with the look saying, what were you doing here? Because last time you saw me, I was just a tiny little 18 year old boy who wasn't up to much at all. And you must have grown a lot in them years. Um so you saw you when you were 18 and five years later you were 23. I mean, under just kind of normal circumstances, uh, men tend to fill out a lot. Um, you weren't under what we call normal circumstances. You were, you, you were training with some seriously elite people all the time and I imagine eating correctly and you must have gained some physical muscle and grown some in that time. Yeah, 
Bueno, bueno, el joint up. I remember at uh, at the initial stages when I was giving a few details to uh, the guy in charge of the enlisting post in Nice, where I, where I joined up. I told them I was a hundred and eighty pounds and he was what's that and I was oh yeah 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 metric system here in France so I told him yeah 180 pounds that's about 90 kilos and then then when I when I got to the headquarters regiment helped me quizzed again and a sergeant, an English speaking sergeant was looking over my records and he goes, Oh I see I see you've lost ten kilos turns out turns out a hundred and eighty pounds is not ninety kilos. Almost, but not quite. Not quite by quite a bit. And come back to the enlisting post in Nice. When I finished the living cert, I went to France with a couple of friends. The plan being just to lived up for a couple of weeks yeah check out the the, the French beer we spent a night or two in Paris and then got down to Caen by train and yeah didn't like Caen that much it was a bit too squeaky squeaky clean for of Galbilas and ended up in Nice and first fight a relationship with French beer for two weeks then uh, the lad went home and uh, I went to the shower room in the train station had a good wash and for the last couple of good cut myself some breakfast in the transition and then went to the listing post rang the doorbell and immediately a pair of savage jaws came thrusting through a little portal in the gate where you insert your key it was the jaws of an opposition who was determined to rip me to shreds even though I was still in the street. Uh, and next thing a uh, booming voice from the, the second floor of the house or the list in both house just beckoned out the new window saying the French version of Dumbo and this guy then welcomed me and 
He was very friendly, very welcoming. More welcoming than the Alsatian, huh? Oh, big time. <laughs> <laughs> so spent that night there and then went to Oban the next morning. Oban is the headquarters. Yeah, that's the headquarters regiment. It's about, about maybe 20 minutes, half an hour outside of Marseille. And did you, you, so you went to France with a few buddies, you were up and you went down to Cannes, then you went to Nice. And that's where you signed up. Yeah. Was that was that the plan? Did yeah. You, okay. So you didn't just go and uh, say, "Oh, geez, what's that place over there with the queue? I think I'll go and sign my name." It was actually that was your plan. That was why. Uh, yeah. Yo, like like said, one of sixteen, I knew where I was going, and as soon as we moved from Caen to Nice, first the first thing I did was find out where the enlisting boss was and went to the, the, the location to just to verify I had the address down pat. So, so that when I actually went to join up, there would be no, no excuses. <laughs> was, there, was there ever any thought about like joining the Irish Army or the British Army or any other fighting force or was it the Legion always your first choice? Uh, the, the Legion was, to me it was, it was more than just an army. The Irish Army, yeah, was team. As, yeah, as far as you knew, they didn't really go overseas. And the British Army, I've I seen, seen stuff on TV and things like that, where some, some senior anchors screaming down the face of some, some, some recruit of some, someone of lower, lower rank. And I, I just had the hunch that and the Legion didn't engage in that kind of activity, which by, by and large is true. There, there, there was not that much verbal abuse in the Legion. Of course, there, there is plenty of slanging, and if you do, Step in the wrong direction, you'll get the earful, if not the handful. So, like, but it wasn't like I guess the, the, the image most people of my generation would have would be from the movie Full Metal Jacket. And there's a guy in that who I can't remember his name, but he's a drill sergeant and he's absolutely screaming at Private Pile. Private Pile is the. the the other guy and I guess that's the image most of my generation would have and I would have thought they'd do that in the Legion that would be even though it was full of kind of mystique and I also thought in the Legion that they actually kicked the crap out of the recruits I thought was that am I, like am I wrong probably am 
Almost ruled out by the time I got there. Not nothing that I never got. Ah, but well, I packed that was well merited. I did get a couple of those. Uh, we had a we had a sergeant in the second, another guy that, oh, yeah, old me, and he was. Yeah, I'm fairly sure he was French. And if he isn't French, he spoke excellent French. This, this guy, you know, he was not sure if he was taller or just a wee bit taller than me, but he was a hell of a lot broader. And he he filled me in in the corridor because I didn't have my uniform ready for guard duty. Uh, just uh, he filled you in. Well, that, just that just one dig. Give you a closer to. Yeah. Uh, he gave me a dig because my uniform was ready. I'd only found out five minutes previously. That I was actually on guard duty the next day. Okay. So I, I just pull, pull up the uniform from, <laughs> from the locker and hung it at the end of my bed, my bunk bed. And it's a sergeant took one look at it and he just looked at me. And to get to the door with the stump and told me to wait outside. <laughs> okay. So yeah, he gave me a good belt, but because I maintained eye contact, I gained his respect. Oh really? Yeah. So um, you think that 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 so that belt was almost a test to see what you wilt. Well, well, the, the belt was because I, I made a mess up and he meant maintain, maintaining eye contact showed him that he was the guy who would be okay as a soldier who, who, who won't freak out and go into a panic when, when, <coughs> when the shit hits the fan. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, <laughs> but it, but it, yeah, but it, it still the the thought of it would would show weakness rather than strength. It's like okay, you can take a belt and get on with your day, and keep looking at me in the eye. That's a sign of strength. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you learn a lot about someone's true character under 
strenuous situations. If you've ever been in a confined area, I I don't mean in a tiny room or anything, but say say you're in the fields with with 20 guys and no one gets any food for a couple of days. You learn quite a bit about a person's true personality do, especially in the second of those two days. In the second of those two days, <laughs> when people start getting really hungry. Uh, 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 it's, it's a bit like, you know, after the nightclub when you go down to a supermax and you're drooling at that thought button. For some reason, it's closed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not a very happy camper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so yeah, you really do find. Did did many people like fail these tests? As in, you you put in these mm-hmm. positions and 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 you're without food for a while. This was in somehow a test, was it? The, the this episode I'm referring to that was afterwards, yeah, in my regiment, okay. which was part of our course we were doing, and in basic training there was there was no food deprivation, okay. lots of sleep deprivation, and lots of not so appetizing foods. Okay. But no food deprivation. No starvation, just eat what you get though. But yeah. Uh, and those that I seem to lose according to the English speaking <laughs> sergeants and the headquarters regiment, I regained those kilos in basic. So you regained the imaginary kilos. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was about ninety kilos at the end of base training, okay. and I, I saved roughly a ninety on the on the north during my time in the legion. Okay. I just digress now for a minute. You you were on the island of Corsica a good bit. Um. Maybe it's just in my head because the movie is out now. But was there an influence of Napoleon in the Legion? Was it was he was there any stuff about him? No, no, none. The the Legion is is part of the French army up uh, up until the The trouble between the Legion and the government that was in the 60s. The Legion was basically, basically independent. It, it followed the government's rules when it, were, it was directed somewhere, but by now it was independent, so it financed itself. Yeah, but but now it's now it's, it's part of the French army. It's 
funny. I like doing a bit of research on this before I talk to you, and there's some incredible stories about the Legion. Um, one of them is about Algeria, and I think this happened in the 60s too, and it might be something around what you're referencing there. Um, when the French government pulled their forces out of Algeria, the legionnaires had fought very hard and lost a lot of people for places there. And the legionnaires said, no, we're not going. We're going to take these buildings, we're going to hold them, and we're going to make them ours, and they're going to have a base in Algeria. And uh, de Gaulle at the time, I think, was still there. And there was a bit of a animosity and I think the Legion said they were going to parachute into France and take Paris if they had to. And then de Gaulle said something like, OK, take that place in Algeria, that's fine. But, but they had that almost separation, um, independence almost of the government. Not that they were above it, but they were willing to go outside the rules. Sorry, Lord, the the Legion were by large wiped out at the Battle of Jinbu, that's in Vietnam, and they they lost because they were under the command of French Army generals. The generals decided to make this valley called Jinbu, which is a circular valley surrounded by mountain tops thousand three hundred and sixty degrees around us and the plan was to use this valley as a military fortress from which they would expand their influence further afield but uh, but they underestimated the Vietnamese the Vietnamese, the the annihilators, the the Mongol army of yeah, yeah, don't know what time Genghis Khan and the boys were around. I think it was Genghis Khan's grandson wanted to bring uh, an army across Vietnam so that he could attack Burma so that he could attack Burma but the Vietnamese declined him authorization he, he went nonetheless and that led to the destruction of the Mongols in other words the Vietnamese they're they're a very happy good lucky people but not a people you want to tangle with and after the second world war well actually during the war they declared independence for themselves but after the war france decided that they were going to take back their colonial possession, as they called it. They took back control of Vietnam. 
Vietnam went to war with them in I think it I think it was fifty four yeah I'm not sure on you the French were eventually thrown up and this battle Jinping and few was largely the reason for that. The the Vietnamese these On the word to the French, the Vietnamese had lined the mountain tops with heavy artillery and then one day they just opened up on their French forces based in being few and it was basically a Turkish use and thousands of legionaries died. Some some legionaries had their first and last parachute jump into Jiempu in an effort to salvage the situation. Only a few hundreds of them managed to escape, and so the legion went back to Algeria to lick the wounds and around about the time the, the, the war with the local the local Algerian population was really gathering momentum turned out to be a really savage war um great atrocities conducted by by both the legion and the the Algerian population and eventually the goal granted Algeria independence there was two parachute regiments at the time called battalions Premier Bep to Bep and I, th- I think it was the regime back basically the sounds the the premier back at the airport as they were getting armed up to 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 do an airborne airborne assault on the government in Paris. So ever ever since then the government have been you about the legion and now it is just part of the French army so, so when, I, when I joined in the 805 things like phys- physical brutality were pretty real you you'd fairly have to step out of line to meet the physical stuff but I managed to do only a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that's such an intense history. Yeah, in the seventies, the basic instruction for the legion, the whole legion, was conducted at a wee town called Bonifacio 
and uh, south southwest of Portugal, and there, there was quite a few suicides. The 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 training was that extreme, really? and they they had a punishment wing for the for the parachute regiment. They had a punishment wing up in a town called Corti, which is smack in the center of Corso. Is we up in the mountains? Is you know, excuse me. Excuse me. Is in a circular valley where the air doesn't move. It's very, very hot and clammy up there. And the, the punishment wing was only closed on when a photographer with a long, long range camera or long, long range lens took photographs of what was happening and, and that appeared in party match. And next, next thing, a French army general flies over to Calvi, where the parachute regiment is based, and has the not only the the punishment wing in in, in Cortez goes on, but also a kind of a jail in. In Calvi itself, which is, yes, the building's still there. It's, uh, it's an old fort. Yeah, it has, has uh, an assault ghost built around the most surrounding fort. Spent quite, quite a few enjoyable, highly enjoyable mornings up there. On the south coast, around this very, very historic building called Fort Charlie. Fort Charlie, and they have an assault course in the moat around. The yeah, oh, that does sound like fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, I call it Fort Charlie, but that, that's probably just uh, okay. the name the the regiment gave it. Yeah, like a code name. Yeah. When you finished basic training, you were in the top ten, and then the top ten gets to choose their regiment. Yeah. And you had a regiment in mind. Yeah, I, I had no hesitation about saying, "Yeah, the parachute regiment, please." And was this in your mind? Since you began before you joined the Legion, that's kind of, you wanted to be in the air. You wanted parachute. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about the Legion, okay. but but in the uh, the screening area of in the par in the, the headquarters regiments where they keep all the all the volunteers. While you're waiting around for for your tests and your 
Sure, medical checkups and blah 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 blah. They they have a couple of TVs and video video cassette VHS, which some of you listeners won't have an idea of what they want about. VHS is the is the precedent of of. DVDs. Some of our listeners won't even know what DVD is. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so they, they, they show lots of footage of stuff done by various regiments. So, so a lot about Africa and lots and lots of stuff about guy jumping out of planes and that's when I knew where I wanted to go. Up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of jumps did you do then? Yeah, in jump school, yeah, the training is, they are very methodical. They're, yeah, they're dealing with guys, guys who by large don't speak French or, or have very basic French, so the training is very, very, very methodical, very, very clear, very obvious, and just spent, I think it's about, say, two, two weeks, or maybe more, learn, learning how to jump, and then, if the weather and uh, if the weather and things like the the availability of a plane or works according to plan, your third week you do six jumps, and that that qualifies you to join a combat company of which there is four and um, well there's, there's four main combat uh, in, in sorry in nineteen eighty five there was four combat companies and then one combat company which was about heavy weapons so of those five companies, the 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 jump school could be ten to twenty guys at the time would be doing the jump school. I think with me it was yeah, I can't even can't even remember. Last year it was fifteen guys. So of those. 15 guys would be sent to a company they wouldn't have a choice in which company they were sent to which meant that if you were going to the amphibious company and it just so happens that you couldn't swim they teach you how to swim and you learn Fast. <laughs> so, how did the teacher have to swim? 
I was never in the amphibious company. Okay. Huh? I never, never in quarters. Okay. I was drugs. But you just knew it happened fast. They learned fast. I think it's a bit like, yeah, if you, if you can't tie your shoelaces, they showed you how to tie your shoelaces, and suddenly you can tie your shoelaces. <laughs> There's a... When again, when I was looking, uh, doing a bit of research on this, I found I heard three figures: that one in eight don't make it, one in twelve, and one in fifteen don't. From the people that turn up to enlist, like you did, and sign up, there's there's very few that actually come out the other end as legionnaires. Uh, did you see a lot of people drop off? And why do you think that would be the reason for most of them dropping off? Or the converse, what do you think is the reasons that, for the ones that get through? Yeah, a lot, a lot of guys drop off. First of all, there's the dreamers. That those guys who are like your Walter Mitty character. They turn up with all these crazy expectations. You know, they, they think they'll be jumping out of planes and abseiling and playing around with their toy guns within these. And it doesn't work like that. The, the time you spent, you spent in the screening process at the headquarters regiment for me, I was just out of school, so there wasn't much of a background to be checked, and I was through in in just one week. A lot of men are there for over one month, and if if you're a Walter Mitty character. Usually after two, three days, you get to the thinking that this is a lot of bollocks. It's not for me. I'm too good for this. I'm wasting my time and off you go. Then there was another sector of men who were just physically lost up to up to soldiering and a lot of guys who do get through they've they've already been in the French army and perhaps they they just fancy the challenge of the legion or maybe they they just want to spend time in the legion because they've just been fired out of the legion and they have several years spent with the french army and if they do if they do just another few years with the legion that will entire entitle them to their retirement rights. Okay. 
And that's, I suppose, another uh, another myth is that I know I definitely thought it that only foreign people can join the Legion. No, it's it's about fifty fifty. Well, depending on what there you're talking about, but yeah, see, well, it seemed like half the the guys would be, if not French, Spanish speaking. So they might be from other countries that speak French. Okay. Or they might be from former French colonies. But the vast majority of the officer rank in the legion is French army. It's, it's very rare that you come across a foreigner who is an officer. Okay, so I'm just wondering about the language, because language is a bit of a philosophical bugbear for me at the moment and I know that everybody in the Legion has to speak French like at least once you get there and I'm wondering do you think does that have a binding effect on you as a group of people because you're a group of people from different parts of the world and you have to speak this one language and they have a massive emphasis on songs on learning songs probably more so than any other fight force Singing seems to be very important to them. Hmm. Uh, I wonder, could you talk about that a bit? Did, did, did you find it hard to learn French first? And do you think in French? Or did you think in French when you were in the Legion? Just a small question. My, um, my French was extremely basic when I got to the Legion. I passed the school exam barely, but I rapidly found out what we learnt in school was pretty much irrelevant. An example that that would be when 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 I got to my my final destination in the. And the and the parish parish regiment. The first first boss I had, his name was Caporal Subtuberguy. Who really inspired me, really taught me a lot. And the first time we we chatted, yeah, I was in his office. After presenting myself, he asked me a question, and I responded, Yeah, I always remember, Je ne sais pas. And what, and then, whatever. And what does that mean, Je ne sais pas? Je ne sais pas, that's the, the French, French for, I, do not know. <laughs> okay. But in English, we do not see. I do not know. 
Yeah. It's I don't know. Or if you're from Scotland, I didn't again. <laughs> so Cap Capral looked at me, and then he looked at the an English-speaking sergeant who was in the office at the time, <laughs> and he said to him, "What's he saying?" I I should have said, Jepa. Jepa. I don't know. Okay. okay. <laughs> so there, there was a lot of these little things, I suppose, that you were translating. Yeah, and dur- during during the basic training, they give you. Yeah, I'm guessing the the day and and the. In the camp, in the in the buildings, he give you say one one lesson, if not more, per day in French. So all all the basic stuff, uh, how to calm days, to week that kind of stuff. But more and most more importantly, with regard developing your French, the the brick the. The the volunteers up into French speaking Francophone and non Francophone, non French speaking. So you, you have a French body and yourself. Okay. And you work as a team. So uh, do they have enough? Is it would it be like fifty fifty of people, Francophones? It's is roughly enough. Okay, and there, there's there is a surprising amount of places that speak French, really, isn't there? Like yeah, Canada, different parts of Africa. Yeah, French. French. It is a beautiful language. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and uh, and the songs. Then there's a there's some great lines I've heard translated from the Legion songs. And one of them is, it's very martial. The legionnaire ignores the call of the grave. <laughs> <laughs> it's one that really gets you, though. It's, it's uh, can't think of that one offhand. But, but then again, yeah, I, I, I never really want to learning all these foreign language songs especially when you're undergoing undergoing lots of sleep deprivation and often often struggling with the food you're given so learning French songs wasn't top of my priority list, and even if I did try and learn, suddenly they would start teaching us another song, and I'd only just learned the first three lines of the one previous to that. But it's very important to them these songs. Do you know? Do you, why do you think they put so much emphasis on songs? Is it part of learning the language? It's not, not more the 
It's more the culture. Okay. So some the some of the songs are about death. Love relay their ball to fight, to struggle, to do the job, and it's a. I didn't realize it at that time. It's a subtle way of brainwashing you into preparation <coughs> for that, as a, as in you're being programmed to give your life without without hesitating. So it is like it's a it's a form of conditioning it's a form of almost building the kind of personalities that they want through these songs which have very martial meaning in them uh yeah but but yeah when when you see terms like brainwashing i i don't think anyone in the the officer ranks i don't think any of them ever sat down and said, okay, how do we brainwash these guys? Oh, that, that's just the way it evolves. When, when I got to the, the parachute regiment, each time we were going to the mess hall, we would sing a song. And my man company was second comedy which is the mountain comedy and their their song is the advice which is unbelievably difficult to sing okay. so so basically the the sergeant would always choose the easy song which was Come through the Viet, which means against the Vietnamese, and the song is about the war with the Vietnamese. And I always remember one time I wasn't actually part of the troop going going to the mess hall. I just suddenly passed by the window singing Come through the jet, come through the enemy, which is against Vietnamese, against the enemy. And at the back of the street, casually marching along, singing away, were three Vietnamese lads. (laughs) Oh, wow. <laughs> did they know the meaning of it? Oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah. they probably do. <laughs> so, and they, they were legionnaires too. And they, oh, wow. I'm just, I don't know. I never, I never thought of it like that, actually. Uh, imagine if they had fought the Irish and, uh, or the Scottish, and you were over there saying contra the Irish or contra the, the Scottish. It's, it's a bit of a... I, you, you might say that can lead to awkward situations, but it can be extremely beneficial beneficial as well. For, for example, 
in the the war in ex Yugoslavia, Christian or Croatia, that that area during that war, the commander unit I was in. Yeah, I I left the Legion by the stage, but I remember reading an article in the Irish Times. I'm I'm not sure. I I wish I kept the article. I think it was in the Irishman Diary, and it was about the unit and our Legion unit over there, and. There was something special about these guys. They they be doing crazy stuff like rescuing all the all the material like like trucks and jeeps and all that kind of stuff. They be rescuing that back from the from the enemy forces who'd confiscated those items from the French army and it turned out that this commando unit had very little difficulty with fulfilling the mission because they, they simply put on the uniform of the enemy and because they, they were already crushing themselves they had no problem okay. infiltrating to wherever uh-huh. they wanted to go. That is interesting. Yeah, so I guess if they had, uh, if they went back to war with Vietnam, them three guys that were singing at the back might come in very handy. Then again, might not. <laughs> then again, they, <laughs> they might have already been <laughs> infiltrated the uh-huh. region. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it does make sense. Uh, what is the the motto of the legion again? Pastra legio. Legio patria nostrio. And that translates to something like the legion is now your fatherland, or the legion is now your family. Yeah, along those lines. Yeah. Do you think um? Do you think that landed? As in, do you think them Vietnamese chaps, and and perhaps yourself, did you feel? more for the legion than you would have for Ireland or Scotland would you have felt more a part of the legion than you would have a part when you were when you were in it now do you think it worked basically the, this kind of the songs the language everything built to bring you in as part of this unit like you said you're willing to fight and die for this unit for this legion when you were in it do you think if the Legion had gone to war with Scotland or had gone to war with Ireland, do you think or had gone to war with Cullinans, do you do you think you would have might have picked the Legion? Do you think you would have no. stayed? No. For again, so so it was a motto but it never actually fully encompassed. Yeah, it's been luck. Well when they've joined, you have the choice of Maintaining your own identity 
or adopting a new a new identity, new name. And I'm I won't say proper but proud but uh, I definitely want to remain a Cullinan. A Cullinan, a Scot, yeah. an Irishman, <laughs> the whole the whole lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wonder we'll be coming to an end shortly now. Oh, before we go here. The Legion March. The Legion march at a slightly slower pace than normally, even slower than normal walking pace. Yeah. Um, I'm unsure what the purpose of that is, but is it, 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 does it take more effort in a way than marching fast? It's, yeah. Good question, Dougie. I'm struggling to even think about this. It's just, just the way they march. It's just the way they march. And uh, as you said, they go out on Bastille Day. Yeah, one, one Legion company goes to the, the Bastille Day celebrations in Paris. July the 14th every yeah. year and yeah I I never had the privilege of doing it but, but then again I I'm not sure if, if uh, well I've, I've never really bothered about having that privilege that would be more about French independence and it would mean a lot to French people but I guess the, uh, you had told me earlier that the, the Legion doesn't really celebrate it. Oh, the, yeah, the Legion does not celebrate much of French culture. Okay. It's very much its own little, own little world within itself. Yeah. But, but that, that... The march on Chandelizy. Yeah, there was umpteen companies in the Legion. There was, yeah, I think there was probably, I don't know, at least five regiments around France or on or on Corsica as well. And so five five regiments that would make 25 companies so you could be in the 25 years and you might never get gas to walk that walk but that in the coolest way ever because you're slightly slower than everybody else. yeah and <laughs> the the whole assembly marches down the chance of easy the 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 march finished and then several months later this, this band of legioners come along and they, they do look extremely impressive but I remember one of the companies in my regiment was chosen to do it a particular year and for 
I think was well over the week. They just marched up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down the local airport runway. Wow. Practicing. Yeah, so they were perfect beyond perfect. Yeah. It's it's a... it's, it's, it's a very cool uh, thing, I think, that slow march and the fact that the, the whole parade has finished and then the Legion come. There's a certain kind of, now we'll do it at our speed <laughs> about it. <laughs> if you can wait for us if you like, you can go. We're doing it at our speed. There's definitely an, an, a certain independence that's just implicit in how you march. It's slightly <laughs> different to everybody else. And, and we're okay with that. You know, there's a... I do. I think it's cool. Uh, okay, Lean. Before we go, uh, do you have any advice for young people, for people who are inspired by you and by your story, and for people just looking for something to hold on to in life? Have you got any advice, or is there any thing that might have happened that might inspire people? I learned a lot of things in the Legion, some small, some big, some really big. One of the small ones was proven very handy over the years, over the years. It's amazing how popular you become uh, when you're Amongst a bunch of lads, amongst a bunch of lads drinking beer and knowing how to bottle opener. But with a cigarette lighter. But, but with a cigarette lighter. A bottle beer is easily opened. <laughs> When you know how. <laughs> That's a handy trick. And one, one of the big lessons I learned is that where the mind goes, the body follows. I learned that when my, my first boss, when I got to the para regiment, Capital again. Uh, adjutant, adjutant, capital. He he bought the section of twenty twenty five guys. See, uh, we just marched all night, and uh, I never marched all night in my life. Found found it really tough going, and uh, from. The early albums on, I was really, really, really looking forward to a morning's slumber in the sleeping bag in my backpack. And our destination was the assault course. And Without the word from Carpal, everybody just automatically 
start to do prepare themselves to do this this course and uh, obviously these guys are crazy it's not possible to do something so physical after walking all night and yeah of course we did it and I found it actually way less painful than ever before and the reason that it was simply because simply because the pain signals from from the from the body from the muscles and so on were just not registering with the brain but the, the big lesson I learned from that was how where the mind goes the body follows uh, and that lesson served me greatly when a few years later in 1993 I had to relearn the basics of life stuff like simple stuff like brushing your teeth so I was forever poking myself in the eye with a toothbrush and one time I even gave myself a nasty nosebleed with a toothbrush but I, at the end of it, at the back of my mind was the knowledge that if my mind keeps telling me to keep brushing, keep added. It will, in time, eventually come to be. Well, I mean, that's a uh, very good advice. Um, we hope we'll have you on next time and you can talk about the next chapter of your life after you left the legion uh in my opinion by joining the legion training do, doing all the stuff you did in the legion you showed yourself as a cut above the rest of us i think what happened next and more importantly your response to it that shows Without a doubt, you're cut above most men. Uh, and I hope to bring you on here and talk about it and hopefully cause some reflection and inspiration in the listeners. Well, Liam, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Dohil. Looking forward to it. Until and I, I will take advantage of that time when we meet again to explain reasons why I don't consider myself a cut above anyone. <laughs> okay, before we go, when, when researching this, I, I, I had listened to other podcasts and, and, and read stories from Legionnaires, and uh, a lot of them were American, and a lot of them 
big themselves up and they bigged up all the stuff they'd done and all the stuff in the Legion. And me and Yulene met for a coffee uh, in preparation for this. And that was the big difference I noticed in, in the guys I had listened to and you, is that you didn't big yourself up. You didn't big up the history. If anything, you played it all down. And I'm sorry, but if anything, that just adds to your greatness. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but until next time, Liam, thank you very much. Listeners, please join us next time. Thank you, Tor. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs>
and went on to have a career in the mountain regiment, mountain parachute regiment. We'll get into that in the podcast. Um, Liam had a good career in the in the Foreign Legion, and he left. Uh, after he left, he went doing things like hiking in the foothills of the Himalayas and, you know, continuing this life of adventure. So he was in Fort William in Scotland and undergoing a diving course so he could become a commercial diver and travel around the world doing exciting things uh, and making a living at it, you know. Uh, that was the path Liam had chosen. And as we know, Liam follows through. However, the universe had different plans, it seems. And it was at this time that Liam was struck down by meningitis. Liam went into a coma and suffered a brain injury. Uh, This brain injury was significant and the prognosis was not good for Liam. He was told he had to learn to walk again, learn to talk again. Although Liam's cognitively fine, as in thinking and memory and all that stuff is seems perfect. Um, controlling his body seemed to take uh, serious serious effort and concentration which um, Liam is a has surpassed all expectations um, the man who's not supposed to be able to cycle can be seen miles from Galway on a specially made tricycle pushing through cycling uh, Liam is a well known character now around Galway uh it's not hard to see that Liam is 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 dealing with the things the rest of us don't. Uh, when Liam walks, he, he he often gets mistaken for a drunk person. Um, now, this mistake isn't made by m- most Galwegians because he's so well known and respected and admired. But when others do make that mistake, locals tend to be quick to inform them. Of uh, of their misapprehension and that Liam is no ordinary man. Uh, one might think going through what Liam has gone through would leave someone bitter. Uh, this is not the case with Liam. He's a joyful character. Spending five minutes with Liam will 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 cheer you up and make your day, and leave you wondering what the hell you were complaining about in the first place. This first episode with Liam is about his time in the in the Legion. In the next episode we'll talk about his time from that day in Fort William and go into his incredible diet and, and, and passion and perseverance and determination and and wisdom. And the second one we might talk about his hike in the North Pole or his solo trip to Thailand. In this first one, we talk about 
Liam's inspirations in the Legion, people he had met that became exemplars maybe for Liam to a certain extent. We'll talk about what brought him to join the Legion and maybe get uh, an insight into what it's like in the Legion, which seems to be a military unit that has a that has a lot of mythology and mystique surrounding it. So it'll be nice to talk to somebody who's actually been there. As I say, Aleem is no ordinary man, and I'm very honored to have him on this podcast. So no more delay. I give you part one of Liam Cullinan, the Legionnaire.